It's good to be with you today. My name is Hopalong. I'm Pastor Scott, and it's good to be with you today. It's always a pleasure to be opening God's Word with you today. Uh, as we are in our passages today, I'll warn you that there are multiple passages, but I do encourage you to open your Bibles, uh, your electronic devices, and follow along with me. Uh, if you're only going to keep your finger in one place, I would encourage you to do that in the book of Hebrews. Well, maybe you've heard this somewhere, but FAC has a new lead pastor, Pastor Ben Stefano, and it's great to know that there is someone in that position knowing that he intends to teach us and lead us and care for us. But that relationship is not one-sided. So how can we support our new lead pastor? Today I'm going to share with you five ways to support your pastor, Ben Stefano. Now, I listen regularly to a podcast that is uh, by uh, Pastor Greg Laurie, who is the pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California. And quite often, he will give a number of points in his sermon, but he will take the first letter from the main or first word of each one of those thoughts and make an acronym to make it easier for everybody to remember what the main passages were. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, recently he was talking from James chapter 119. That's the verse that says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So his uh, encouragement to his congregation was, you need to think before you speak. And then he used that as an acronym. So the T was for true. Is what you were about to say true? If not, don't say it. Will it help? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? So those uh, letters make up the acronym THINK, THINK BEFORE YOU SPEAK. Well, here are the five ways that I'm going to give you to support your new lead pastor, Ben Stefano. First of all, you need to pray for him. And then you need to know that he loves you and that he is for you. The third one is to extend grace to him. The fourth one is to encourage him. And the last one is to prepare for Sundays. So um, my acronym is PLEEP. Okay, I admit it, that's not as good as Pastor uh, Greg Laurie's acronyms. I'm not as good as making those as he is. A lot of things I'm not as good as, as he is. But I'm hoping that you will remember that word and that you will remember to PLEEP, Pastor Ben. So here's the first one. Pray for him. Now, I could have chosen any number of verses to use to encourage you to pray for Pastor Ben. Uh, But the one that I've actually chosen is Galatians 6, 9. So that's our first passage today is Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And it says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Now, you may be thinking, why did you choose that verse? The word pray or prayer is not anywhere in that verse. Well, let me tell you the reason why is because I want us to pray for our pastor to be renewed in his energy. Whether you've uh, used this old joke about pastors or maybe you've just heard it, uh, but this is the way it goes. Being a pastor is easy. You only have to work one day a week. Now, by the way, if you want to endear yourself to your new pastor, don't tell him that joke. Uh, But not only is that joke not true, it's not even close to the truth. 
What is true about being a pastor is that a good pastor, a shepherd, is really on call closer to 24-7. Now, he may not be in his office seven days a week, and he may not be preparing a message for 10 hours or more a day. But if his heart will be for the people that God has called him to shepherd all the time. The work of pastoring is not only mentally, um, emotionally, and physically taxing, but it can also be spiritually grueling. Pastor Ben will be on the front lines of spiritual warfare. He will not only see God at work within the church, he will also see the enemy of our souls attempting to trip us up. No pastor is skilled enough or spiritual enough to lead the church in his own strength. That bit of knowledge may concern you, but it shouldn't. If it does surprise you or concern you, then you're thinking of your pastor as being something more than human. And uh, I want to tell you that he's not more than human. He is human. And if you don't believe me, then next week ask his wife, Amy, and she'll confirm that he is indeed human. Pastor Ben needs God to strengthen him, and so he's also going to need all of us to join him in the spiritual battle. He cannot and should not be an army of one. Let me remind you of what the Apostle Paul wrote about being a spiritual overseer of many churches. This is in 2 Corinthians. That's just a couple of pages to your left. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28. It says, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. That's the Apostle Paul telling uh, his church family there that there is great pressure on me every day. That's a heavy load, and, and I haven't even mentioned the other important parts of Pastor Ben's life and calling, his own personal holiness, his own walk with Christ, leading his family, and his own personal struggles as well. One of the greatest gifts that you can give to your new pastor is a commitment to pray for him. And not just once in a while, whenever you happen to think of him, but to make a commitment to pray for him daily. Let me mention something else. While it is good and it is encouraging to pray for somebody, it's more encouraging if, in addition to praying for them, you tell them that you're praying for them. Think about that in your own life. If, if somebody is praying for you but you don't know it, that doesn't make their prayer less effective, but it doesn't encourage you. But if they pray for you and tell you that they're praying for you, you have that effective prayer as well as the encouragement going on. So that's our first point. Pray for Pastor Ben. The second one is to know that Pastor Ben loves you and he is for you. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15, and I'm going to have to be careful as I turn here uh, because in the last service I went to Jeremiah 31, 15, which is a good verse, but it has nothing to do with our passage this morning. So Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15, and it says, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart. This is God speaking to the children of Israel. I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you knowledge and understanding. God does something special in the heart of a true shepherd. 
God gives that man a genuine love for the flock that has been entrusted to his care. And in that same way, we should love our pastor. It's important to know that your pastor loves you. He will pray for you. He desires to bring about God's purposes in your life. He wants you to grow and mature in your life as a Christ follower. He will be excited for you about your triumphs. And he will also grieve with you when you have times of pain and suffering. He has a vested interest in your spiritual growth because one day Pastor Ben will stand before God not only for what he has done with his own life, but for what he has done in your lives as the church that he is pastoring. This is from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they may do this with joy and not groaning, for this would be unhelpful for you. In other words, it would be unhelpful if you made their job hard. Let me share something with you that you may not want to hear. There may be times when God uses Pastor Ben to speak a word of truth into your life that you may not be that excited about hearing. In that same book of Hebrews, back one chapter, chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are punished by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he punishes every son whom he accepts. Pastor Ben's sermons may step on your toes from time to time. He won't be trying to offend you, but being a pastor, preaching to a congregation doesn't mean that you always tell people what they want to hear or what makes them feel good about themselves. But we don't want to be the kind of congregation that's described in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 that says, For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. We don't want to be that kind of a church. We want to give him uh, the freedom to speak truth into our lives even when it makes us uncomfortable. Let me give you an example of that. What kind of a parent would you be, if you are a parent, if you only told your children what they wanted to hear and let them do everything that they wanted to do? Or when you were growing up, weren't there times when your parents said no to you or didn't allow you to do things that you wanted to do? And looking back from the perspective of being an adult, you can now see that they were indeed making you uncomfortable and and not happy when they said no, but it was for your own good. It was for your benefit so that one day you would grow up to be a responsible adult. When that happens, it's easy to become offended or angry or even to lash out. You may be tempted to think that Pastor Ben is against you when actually the opposite is true. God is using his own word, the Bible, through his servant, Pastor Ben, to warn you or to call you to repentance. Remember, Pastor Ben's aim is not to make you uncomfortable, but it's also not just to make you feel good about yourself. It is to cause the sanctification process to move forward in your life. So let's take just a couple of minutes and talk about what sanctification means. The word sanctification and the word saint are very closely related. 
to sanctify something is to set it apart for a special use. To sanctify a person is to set that person apart in order to make them holy. In the past, God granted us justification at the time that we were saved. And uh, that was to remove the penalty of our sins. And that's a once-for-all positional holiness in Christ. In the present, God guides us to maturity. That's a practical and progressive holiness. We are becoming more holy, even though our position in Christ is complete holiness. And then in the future, God will give us glorification. Now, that doesn't take place until we're in heaven someday when there is a permanent and ultimate holiness, when the power of sin no longer has power over us. So these three phases of sanctification separate the Christ follower from the penalty of sin, justification, the power of sin, the process of maturity, and the presence of sin, which is glorification in heaven. So now we've talked about the first two parts of that acronym, about praying for your pastor, and about knowing that he loves you and that he is for you. The next one is you need to extend grace to Pastor Ben. Now, I'm going to let you in on some dirty laundry. Pastor Ben is a sinner, and so am I, and so are you, right? Don't put Pastor Ben on a pedestal and then be shocked if he does something that disappoints you. He has questions and doubts, and at times he fails in faithfully following the Lord. Just like you and me, the Lord is at work in Pastor Ben, sanctifying and conforming him to the image of Christ. He has days that are sometimes bad. Sometimes he'll get to the end of the day and look back and wish that he had handled something differently or that he hadn't said something in the way that he said it or that he had spoken up when instead he remained quiet. Your pastor is not perfect, and he knows it. Give him time, and Pastor Ben will let you down, just like I have, just like Pastor Chen has. If you look hard enough and long enough for the opportunity, it will come for you to write off your pastor as a disappointment. He is not above sin, and he is not above sinning against you. So what do we do in those moments? Let me give you some options. You could write him what I call a nasty gram. And what makes a nasty gram really effective is when you don't sign it. You make it an anonymous note. Or you could talk about him behind his back. Or you could just leave the church. May I lovingly suggest to you that instead of doing any of those things, that you extend to him the same grace that you desire when you fail. Just like you and me, Pastor Ben will never be beyond the need of grace in his life. God wants us to grow strong in giving grace to others, and extending grace to another person is simply to forgive them unconditionally, just as God forgave us through Christ. Uh, Let me read to you from Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. All right, so there's the first three. Pray for Pastor Ben. Know that he loves you and is for you. 
uh, and then extend grace to him. And then the next one is encourage Pastor Ben. Now, when I tell you that you should encourage Pastor Ben, what are some of the examples that come to mind? Now, maybe one is, is kind of from the old days when uh, everybody would file to the back of the church and go through the back doors and shake the pastor's hand, and what would we say? Good message, pastor. Now, I'll tell you, that's better than hearing, you know what, that was a real stinker. Um, but here's something that is even more encouraging. If your compliment is specific, Pastor Ben, this is what I learned from your message today that I think that God is going to work on me this week. Or, Pastor Ben, last week when you shared that message from this book of the Bible, it really encouraged me and helped me in my walk with Christ. Let me give you um, a specific personal example of encouragement I received from someone at FAC. I'm going to keep his name anonymous uh, because I don't want him to feel uncomfortable. So here is part of an email that I received. Hi, Pastor Scott. I have found a devotional book for men with a short lesson for each day of the year. Today's lesson was 1 Samuel 25, 29. After reading the lesson, I turned to my Bible to read it in context. Now, by the way, that is a great way to study the Bible. Don't take one verse and stop there. Go back into the context and read what God is saying in that whole chapter or that whole section. He said, when I am in church, I mark the date and underline the passages of that day's sermon, and then I add some short notes in my Bible while I journal the lesson. The date in my Bible was FAC 10-16-22. So I turned to my journal entry, and it was a message that you prepared and taught, the amazing story of Abigail avoiding foolishness. Your teaching in October 2022 helped give me a better understanding today of this book's lesson. One question you asked at the end of your lesson was, am I a teachable person? I am trying to be so. I just wanted to share with you that your work is helping others on this journey. We are all works in progress, and I am positively sure there are others in our church who are, you are reaching and helping. Now, that was very encouraging. It was so specific. And by the way, he wrote that email four months after I gave the message. So I know that it meant something to him. Now, verbal encouragement is great and it's needed. Matter of fact, one of my favorite quotes is from Mark Twain that says, I can live for two months on a good compliment. But we can all forget verbal encouragement, can't we? Um, Or maybe even what... What you need to remember is the specific way that it was said because it wasn't necessarily the, the idea that they shared with you verbally. It was the way that they worded it that made it so encouraging. So if you write your encouragement, it can be read and reread. Maybe at the moment when it's most needed, far removed from the original time that it was written. I believe that even better than an email or a text is a written note or a card. I've saved many cards over my 20 years in ministry, and sometimes when I need encouragement, I might reread one of those. But more often than that, I'll just go to the drawer in my office where they're they're kept in this bulging folder of people that have written me a note of encouragement, and just to open that drawer and to see those notes is enough to encourage me. I have a short one-page magazine article that was written for Decision Magazine 
back in 1993, and I've kept this for the last 30 years. For many of those years, it was actually in the back of my Bible. Uh, you can tell how well-worn it is because it's kind of yellowed, and, and I can't even open it all the way anymore. But let me read this to you. It's called Thank You, written by Ken Williams. The aircraft mechanic could hardly get the words out as he revealed that he and his family were leaving the mission field. As a counselor to missionaries for many years, I had heard those words before, but I wondered what painful events had brought Dave to the agonizing decision to give up his missionary career. As Dave poured out his story, my heart ached with him. When he and his young family arrived on the mission field four years before, he had almost exploded with eagerness to serve God there. But exhausting pressures, unrelenting setbacks, and crushing discouragements finally drove him to the brink. He just could not go on. You must have had some encouragement since you came, I replied, hoping to lead him to see the bright side. Every morning by 5.30, I'm at the hangar preparing the airplanes for the day, he said, I miss having breakfast with my family, but our missionaries need to be able to fly to their remote locations. I came here to please God, not people. But Ken, you know what hurts the most? My service seems utterly unappreciated. But you serve more than 200 missionaries in a very practical way. Surely many of them have thanked you for your labor, I replied. At this, Dave tenderly drew from his shirt pocket a small, crumpled, grease-stained piece of paper. As he gave it to me, tears welled up in his eyes and tumbled down his rough cheeks. Read this, he choked. I found this in my mailbox nearly two years ago. It is the only thanks that I have received in the past four years. I keep it in my toolbox. When I am so discouraged that I can hardly go on, I pull it out and read it one more time. Doesn't anybody else appreciate my work? I blinked through my own tears at this shattered man, and my heart began to break with conviction. It was clear that Dave was crushed, not only by the hardships of the mission field, but by the lack of gratitude of others. How many times had someone helped me in some way, only to starve for a word of thanks? That day marked a turning point for me. As I pondered my friend's grief, it was painfully clear that just feeling grateful isn't enough. Gratitude unexpressed is ingratitude. Let me share one more way that you can encourage Pastor Ben. See a need at church and fill the need. Now, sure, if you hear about a a need for leaders in our Pure Desire ministry, help out. Or if you hear about a, a need for volunteers in our children's ministry, by all means, fill that need. But something, because something that weighs heavily on a pastor's heart is knowing the many needs for volunteers that are going unmet. So you want to encourage Pastor Ben? Help him where help is needed. If you see a need, just help out. Now, let me share one example that our chairman of the Board of Elders shared with me. Uh, this is an um, even better way to encourage your pastor is to just see the need and fill it without even being asked. Uh, Gil Jacobs shared with me that one day he was driving into the church parking lot and he saw one of our church members um, working, tilling a garden. You know those two little mounds that are by the entrance and the exit of the church parking lot? This man was on his knees pulling weeds and tending to that little garden area. 
It was not a church work day. Nobody had made an announcement that we needed help with this. Uh, No one had asked for volunteers. This man simply saw a need, and he met it. No fanfare, and only one person in the church even noticed. He did it because he loves God and he loves his church. That is encouraging to a pastor. All right, so we've gone through the first four now. Pray for your pastor. Know that he loves you and is for you. Extend grace to him and encourage him. Here's the last one. Prepare for Sunday. Now, I'm going to get personal here and ask all of you a very pointed question. And you don't have to get too uncomfortable because I'm not asking you to answer out loud. How many of you come to church week after week prepared to worship and prepared to hear the sermon? Hebrews chapter 10, 23 through 25 was our main uh, scripture this morning. It's what we read together. Or, I'm sorry, we didn't read it together because we didn't have scripture reading. Uh, but here is what it says. Let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As Christ followers, we live the Christian life from one Lord's day to the next. We should never allow ourselves in growing lax in our meeting together. Why? Because there is nothing more meaningful, rich, and glorious as the body of believers, as Christ followers, getting together with our Lord Jesus Christ to worship him. Most Christians believe this, but does it translate into our practice? Or is the moment we're sitting in the pew the first time that we begin to think about corporate worship in our week? Let me share with you some suggestions that I read from a blog by Kevin DeYoung of the Gospel Coalition. If corporate worship is as significant as the Bible portrays it to be in Acts chapter 2.42, then we should prepare for it. And that verse says that they, the early church, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We believe that preaching is significant, so we expect our pastor to be prepared on Sunday morning and not just stand before you and wing it. We believe that corporate worship is significant, so we expect our worship team and our vocalists and our instrumentalists to prepare and not just stand up here and say, hey, what about this one? Let's play that one. We believe that our engagement in corporate worship is essential, so we should also expect to prepare even as we expect the pastor and the worship team to prepare for their participation in the morning service. How can you prepare for worship? Let me give you just a few examples. First one is to take control of the rest of your week. I'm talking about Monday through Saturday. Practice family worship. Practice personal worship throughout the week, knowing that this will inform you and encourage you in your experience for corporate worship. Let me give you an example of this. I think a lot of you know that uh, in the last few years, I've gotten into running. And if I were to say, you know what, the day that I'm going to run is Saturday morning. I'm going to go down to the peninsula and run four or five miles. But that's the only day that I did any preparation for it. 
I didn't do any stretching during the week. I didn't do any other running. I didn't get on the treadmill. I didn't do the elliptical. That's it. The only thing I did was show up at the peninsula on Saturday morning, and how long do you think that that would feel like a wonderful, beneficial thing? Not very long, right? Here's the next one. Be boring. Go to bed early on Saturday night. Friday nights can be filled with late-night activity, but Saturday nights should routinely be safeguarded. Sleepy heads make for drowsy worshipers. Let me give you an example going back to the very beginning of my ministry as a pastor. Um, Somebody in the church had invited all of the pastors and their wives and all of the elders and their wives over to their house for a dinner and time of fellowship. And I think it was probably at the beginning of December, so kind of a, a celebration of Christmas. So after dinner, we're all just kind of talking to each other. And, and I'm standing with two of my best friends there, the pastor of worship and children's ministry, uh, Pastor Don, and the pastor of our youth ministry, Pastor Brian. And as the three of us are talking and just having fun together, the senior pastor, Pastor Sutter, comes up and says, uh, you know, it's 9 o'clock and I'm going home to get ready for tomorrow morning. In other words, I'm going to go to bed early. And I encourage you guys to do the same thing. And so after we said goodnight to him, we just kind of looked at each other, rolled our eyes like, yeah, thanks, Mom, we're going to bed early. But you know what? The longer... I've been in this ministry, the more I realize how important that is. If I go to bed late on Saturday night, I'm not ready for Sunday morning. Here's the next one. Have a right attitude. Cultivate a spirit of joy on Sunday mornings in your home. If this is the highlight of our week, then let's act like it. Talk about how wonderful Sunday is going to be ahead of time. Wake the kids up with excitement. I know that's a challenge, right? Turn on good Christian music for the whole family to listen to and put a smile on your face. Here's the next one. Maybe this one's going to hit home for some of you. Media blackout on Sunday morning. Don't turn on the TV. Don't catch up on your social media. Let that wait. Safeguard your mental space because our minds are so easily distracted. Here's the next one. Plan ahead. Lay out your Sunday morning clothes on Saturday night so that you don't have to stare at your closet for 15 minutes trying to convince yourself that you actually do have something to wear. Here's the next one. Don't be surprised. You know what? For the past uh, nine or ten months during this interim period, every Friday in your email box on the FAC Weekly, you know who's going to speak on Sunday You're told what the title of their passage is. You're told what scripture they're going to use. And there's even a short paragraph telling you what the big idea is, what we're going to be preaching about. And if you don't get email, if that's not part of what you do, then you can still call the church office on Friday morning, and we would be glad to tell you. So take some time once you find out what is going to be preached about And spend some time on Friday and Saturday reading the passage and asking God to prepare your heart for Sunday morning. There's no excuse for not knowing what will be preached on Sunday morning. Here's the next one. Talk and drive. On your way to church on Sunday morning, talk about the passage that will be preached. Sing a hymn or a praise song. Talk about the things of God. Here's another one. Be an early bird. 
Get up early enough on Sunday morning that you have time to get yourself ready physically, but also that you have time to get ready spiritually, that you have time to read your Bible, time to pray, time to tell God, hey, get me ready for what's going to happen. Prepare me for worship. The next one is timing it right. Give yourself enough time on Sunday mornings that you can get up early enough so that you're not rushed. Leave home with plenty of time to spare. Try not to arrive at church late or even just a few minutes before the service is going to start. Rushing out the door at home and rushing in the door at church will affect your worship time. Then collect your thoughts when you arrive. I know you haven't seen some of your friends for the past week, and it's okay to spend some time talking to them. But before the service starts, arrive in here about five to ten minutes early, reread the scripture passage, and pray and ask God to prepare your heart. For the Christ follower, there is no sweeter in the week than Sunday morning. It's a wonderful time to meet with God and his people because it's part of our weekly activity. And there is a temptation, because it's a regular activity, to treat it as commonplace, uh, as a routine. And I hope that that's never true in my life or in your life. One of the ways to ensure that this is not the case with us is to prepare ourselves and to prepare our hearts and our minds and our souls for corporate worship each week. Take the time and the effort for your soul will be the, the beneficiary of that. By following these guidelines, I believe that we will be the kind of church family that Pastor Ben is not only willing to serve, but is eager to serve. In conclusion, I, I would ask that you would pray for Pastor Ben that he will be eager and enthusiastic in his ministry. Pray that he will immerse himself in God's word and in personal worship of his Savior. Because if that's true, Pastor Ben will lead us not only by his words, but more importantly, by his own example. As you pray for your pastor, remember that he has the God-given responsibility of being a shepherd to his flock. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these examples, and, and we thank you for allowing us to have this important time of being together as a church family. We pray that you will help us to be the kind of church that Pastor Ben is not only willing but is eager to serve and that he will serve us not only with his words but with his deeds through the example of his life. Father, make us that church that is encouraging to our lead pastor. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.